0: How many people in the room know how to do the Heimlich Maneuver? Well, there's quite a, quite a few of you. That's a lot of hands. Maybe you learned it in first aid or something like that. I was eight years old when I learned how to do the Heimlich maneuver. And let me tell you, that came with its consequences. So my third grade teacher thought it would be a really good idea to set the entire class down and we would watch a video on how to help someone if they were choking. Now, I was completely fine with the video up until the very end. And in the very end of the video, it had a woman sitting at a table completely alone eating an apple. And the video explained that while you're sitting alone, if there's no one else to help you that's around and you begin choking, all you need to do is throw yourself up against a table. And if the pressure is strong enough, you're able to push the pressure in the food out and you're able to save yourself. Now, as an eight-year-old, I'm not taller than a table. And all I can remember thinking is, I'm not strong enough. I'm not tall enough. So maybe I should just stop eating. And I was so traumatized by this video that I went home and I did exactly that. I stopped eating. And it's really hard to say how long this went on, but I want to say a couple weeks because my family got so serious about it. They sat me down and they said, Amber, if you don't start eating, you are going to die. And it, it got really serious. So out of reluctance and fear and also starvation, I began eating the broth from ramen noodle soup. Not the noodles, just the broth, because we know how nutritious that is. And my family was so grateful that I was finally eating again, that I dictated as an eight-year-old what I put in my mouth and my body from then on. And I became the pickiest eater around. Do any of you have children who are very picky? Yeah, I promise you, I'm more, I was more picky than they are. I promise, I would not eat anything green. I would not eat any red meat. If it was pizza for dinner, I would scrape off all of the toppings, including the cheese, and just eat the bread. If it was spaghetti, it was butter and noodles only, no sauce. I'm telling you, I was the pickiest around. But here's the craziest part. I was 30 years old before I ate anything green again. Thank God Daniel still married me because we were almost married a decade before I found freedom and started eating healthy. And he endured that, but I was 30 and I remember discovering that I liked guacamole for the first time as a 30 year old. And it was like the light bulb had come on and my body had been craving this for decades. And I am not exaggerating when I say I made guacamole for 30 days straight. Daniel would come home. He's like, what's for dinner? I'm like guac, baby. We're having guac for dinner because I can't get enough of it. And I was telling this story recently to some of our team members and it occurred to me that there are many people who are walking around who went through their own kind of trauma And maybe it's not about food or choking, but it's something spiritual. It's something about their faith. It's something to do with the church. And there's trauma that made them step back and step away from their faith and make them step away from ever attending church again. And that trauma has created fear in their heart. And we're just so happy that maybe they come at Christmas and Easter, so everything must be okay, right? And so we celebrate those little steps, but we don't confront the root of the problem of their trauma. And what is the result of that? deconstruction and not in a healthy way, in a fear-filled way that causes someone to build their own religion, to self-feed. And it's not based on the Bible or Jesus, but it's how they think they should grow spiritually. And even those who haven't necessarily walked away from their faith completely because of their trauma Their spiritual growth has slowed way down. Listen, it should not take 21 years for someone to learn after spiritual trauma to grow in a relationship and a healthy relationship with Jesus again, like it did for me to start eating something green. This month, we've been walking through a series called Tear It Down, how to deconstruct your faith without losing it. And today I want to focus on why people lose their faith inside of the church. Why do some people who grow up in church walk away? Why some people might question whether or not they should even be a part of church. Is church today what Jesus had intended in Acts with his disciples? And what is the root cause of why so many walk away from the church? Why do so many think church is harmful? And why are there so many who never rebuild their faith back after walking away? Today, I want to talk to you about legalism. Legalism has several different meanings, but what does it mean when we talk about it in the context of Christianity? An official definition is legalism is an overemphasis on external conformity to rules as a means for earning favor with God, potentially overshadowing the central tenets of grace, faith, and a personal relationship with Jesus. Basically put, legalism is the idea that you're either in or out with God based on what you do or convince others to do. And there is a long history of legalism inside the church. Now, remember, the church is not a building. It's not this space. It is a group of people who come together and they have put their faith in Jesus and believe that Jesus is God. That is the church, the people. And so if the church is a group of people, that means that the church is not perfect because people make mistakes. And I want to look at the beginning of a letter from Paul to a young church plant in the Bible. Now, as a recap, in in the New Testament, it has letters that the apostles wrote to new churches that provide teachings and guidance and encouragement to early Christian believers. And the letters that Paul wrote in the Bible are called Pauline epistles. And we're going to read from one of his letters that's in the book of Galatians. Now, if Paul was writing a letter to the church of Calgary, like the collective church, all the Christian churches in Calgary. And Paul sat down and wrote a letter and then it made its way into the Bible. Likely it would be called Calgarians. Now I would love to read the book of Calgarians, let me tell you, but that's not what we're reading today. We're reading out of Galatians because Paul wrote the letter to the church in Galatia. So in Galatians chapter one, starting in verse six, Paul says, I am shocked that you are turning away so soon from God who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You are following a different way that pretends to be the good news, but it is not the good news at all. You are being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. Let God's curse fall on anyone, including us, even an angel from heaven who preaches a different kind of good news than the one we preach to you. I say again what we have said before. If anyone preaches any other good news than the one you welcomed, let that person be cursed. Obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. So Paul and Barnabas, after some turbulence, they're in Galatia and God does some amazing work and people in Galatia start accepting Jesus and all of these churches, these brand new churches start springing up and the church is growing and so many people are putting their faith in Jesus. And so Paul sees this and he's like, okay, we're good. He leaves uh, Barnabas behind with the church in Galatia and he goes on to another city and he starts planting more churches. So he goes on in his missionary journey. and after. Paul leaves, there's a group called the Judaizers who come preaching a different gospel, the different gospel that's mentioned here in these verses. And even in Philippians 3, Paul refers to these men as dogs, as evildoers, as mutilators of the flesh, because they came around to the church and they came around to the church and taught that although we are saved by grace through faith in Christ, full acceptance by God can only come by adhering to the law. Judaizers taught the idea that you get in by grace but stay in by works. Now let me repeat that and see if this sounds familiar to you. You get in by grace, but you stay in by works. The Galatian church grabbed on to this as gospel and as truth, because the Judaizers didn't, didn't deny Jesus or grace. They simply added that there needs to be works to Christ as necessary for salvation. And it wasn't that faith in Christ was wrong, but just that it wasn't enough. It was a different gospel, which really isn't a gospel at all. See, gospel means good news. And if you add any stipulations to the free gift of salvation, the good news is no longer good. Instead, it would mean that salvation has to be earned and that Jesus' death on the cross wasn't enough. And in fact, that is bad news. So basically Paul says, I told you before, let me tell you again, there is one gospel. There is no grace or peace or forgiveness or sanctification or strength or power or justification outside of Jesus. You don't graduate past that. There is no amount of works that you could do so that you are elevated above other people, that you become some kind of supreme being. It is all through Jesus. And Paul goes on to say, if anyone tells you differently, let them be under God's curse. I find Paul's words in this letter to be really blunt and really strong. Speaking to people who have decided that faith in Jesus is not enough, that you also have to follow a list of rules. Paul says, I am shocked you are turning so soon from God. Meaning that if you believe that faith in Jesus is not enough to grant you a personal relationship with God, but you also have to follow a list of rules and do certain things and be perfect, you are actually turning away from God. You are denying the gospel. Essentially, this belief is not really faith in Jesus, it's putting faith in yourself, And the thought that if I do X, Y, and Z, and that makes me good enough to have a relationship with God, that is legalism. And legalism is a form of belief that can be found in the most educated people who have been studying the Bible for decades. But what I find most shocking is that this mindset of legalism can also be found in the people who walk side by side with Jesus and one of his disciples. In this same letter to the Galatian church, Paul mentions having to confront Peter for legalism. Peter, the guy who was Jesus number two. And Paul is confronting him for legalism. Listen to what Paul says in Galatians 2.11. But when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face, for what he did was very wrong. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised. But afterwards, when some friends of James came, Peter would not eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. As a result, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy. Even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. And when I saw that they were not following the truth of the gospel message, I said to Peter in front of all the others, since you, a Jew by birth, have discarded the Jewish laws and are living like a Gentile, why are you now trying to make these Gentiles follow the Jewish traditions? You and I are Jews by birth, not sinners like the Gentiles. Yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we may be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we have obeyed the law for no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. So I want to be clear about what law they're talking about here in these verses. Basically, they're talking about this Old Testament law that the Jews believed that you, a man has to be circumcised in order to have a relationship and be right with God. On top of a whole bunch of other Jewish um, beliefs that are found in the Old Testament. And my point in sharing with you that Paul had to correct Peter for his legalistic actions is that it's easy to fall into this mindset that you have to do more and be more and be perfect in order to have a relationship with God. It's harder to accept that there is nothing that you can do that would make God love you less. And get this, there is nothing you could do that would make God love you more. It's especially hard for those who live in the black and white. It's either this way or it's that way. There's no gray. There's no in between. It's one way or the other. But in my own experience, God's truth and love and grace are sitting in these gray areas of our life. So legalism existed in the early church, but what about today? What does legalism look like in our lifetime And I thought I might share with you a few stories of experience of my church upbringing, because it just so happens I have a lot of experience with legalism. So I grew up in a church plant that was started in 1986. And my mother and I and some of our family members joined up with this church in its very early days. And you guys, we were all in we were at sunday school sunday morning church sunday afternoon choir rehearsal sunday night church come on you know i'm talking about wednesday night church saturday nor- morning door knocking and soul winning like we were all in And we watched this church grow from a small storefront next to an easy mart to its first building. And then we added on for the children's ministry, a giant gymnasium. And then we built a bigger building because we kept growing in this small town in Texas. And I learned a lot from being a part of this congregation. I learned how to read the Bible and how to sing and how to lead and how to share my faith with others but I also learned a lot of things that would take me years to shed. And when I talk about my own deconstruction, I like to reference it like shedding things that I needed to unlearn. Legalism was so thick in my church that many who grew up with me in this church walked away from their faith and have still never returned. So I want to preface or give a little caveat. If you personally have some experience with spiritual trauma or spiritual abuse, some of the stories that I'm about to tell you could be triggering, but I do find that to reconcile, to heal, to mend, it's important to pull up some of these things and not stuff them away or slip them under a rug and pretend that trauma never happened. We have to pull this stuff up in order to deal with it, in order to heal from it. So the first hint of legalism that I can remember, I was six or seven years old, and I was headed to kids camp with my church. Now, this is not a day camp like we do here at Connect. This was an entire week away from parents, only with the counselors, in bunk beds, at a campground, learning about Jesus. And guys, I was so excited. I brought my best clothes. And I showed up ready to go to camp, and I was wearing my bright neon tights neon pink tights, and in true 90s fashion, the white shirt with bright pink and green neon to match. I was styling. I was so pumped. And it wasn't soon after I walked up and I was ready to get on the bus that a camp counselor pulled me aside and said, hey, Amber, do you have other clothes you could change into? Because what I didn't know is there was an unwritten rule, an unspoken rule that that dictated how tight my pants could be as a six-year-old. I was in youth group when a youth leader sat the entire youth group down and made us watch a video all about Amy Grant, who was an older Christian music artist back in the day. And as we watched this video, it told us that we should never listen to Amy Grant's music because she is sinful, because she has a history of divorce in her life. And I was in grade 12 when I prepared a song to sing at youth camp because we had a big competition. And guys, if you don't know me that well, I am very competitive. And so music, competition, I'm made for this. And so I was ready. And so I went to this uh, right before camp. I was preparing a song, but they had this rule that all the music had to be piano only because drums are sinful. So I went to my friend who had a dad who could play anything on the piano, and he recorded a song for me in my own key, put it on a tape. And I was so excited to sing this to the church because somehow I had stumbled across the song I can only imagine before it had ever hit the radio. Y'all remember that song? I can only imagine. It was so good. And I was so pumped to sing it in front of our church. And so on Sunday night before we went to camp, I got up on stage and I let in the music and I sang I can only imagine with my piano only accompaniment. And right afterwards, the youth pastor pulled me aside and said, Amber, you cannot sing that at youth camp. And I was like, what? I don't understand. He's like, that is way too contemporary. That is way too worldly. I don't know how I could have made it less contemporary. I mean, it was piano only. These are all examples of legalism. And what legalism does to a believer is dangerous, but what it does to a whole congregation is even more dangerous. And when you live in a culture or a community where only the rules matter, it sets you up for failure, And it sets you up to hide the real sins that you're actually wrestling with. And you get so bogged down by these extra rules that you stop avoiding actual sin and you start justifying it and keeping it hidden. Because if listening to music with drums in it is sinful or wearing shorts is sinful, then it seems impossible to live like Jesus. And so I might as well just throw on the things I really wanna do, like lusting after that person or cheating on my taxes. And so it becomes this big bubble of hidden sin. And when you hide a small sin, it actually festers and it grows into a much bigger sin and it turns into something else. And then that sin actually does eventually come out. And the following are examples of what I'm going to read to you. There are examples of when you are in a community that is only focused on rules and you feel so bombarded that you have festering sin that is growing into something else. When I was in grade 11 at church camp or at a a church ski trip, a 40-year-old deacon of the church who brought his whole family and his secret girlfriend to the trip began hitting on me as a 16-year-old. Thankfully, that didn't go anywhere and I walked away from that convo, but his affair all came out on the long drive home when his daughter asked her mother why she saw on the slopes her daddy holding the hand of another woman. I was in college when I realized legalism and racism were so prevalent in my church as one of my best friends that I grew up with got involved with a guy from a different race, became pregnant, and because of her parents and the church's strong stance that it would be a sin to date or marry anyone from a different ethnicity, she couldn't bear to face them or carry through with having the child, so she opted for abortion. It was the year after I graduated high school that my youth pastor was arrested, convicted, and thrown into prison for molesting his four-year-old niece. And the youth group in the church had such a difficult time recovering from this one with news reporters showing up every single Sunday for months. And I share these experiences with you, and I have lots of them more shocking ones than this, but I don't share them because of the shock factor. I share them with you because of the miracle, because of how amazed I am that today I'm standing here as your pastor, leading a congregation, leading a church. It took years of shedding and healing But if I can walk through all of these things and more and still say that Jesus is Lord of my life and I will follow him for the rest of my days, then there is hope for every single person who has spiritual trauma. When we started Connect Church, Dan and I worked really hard at setting the tone and atmosphere for caring and loving on people like Jesus does, no matter where they have been, what they have done, and this is the important thing, what mistakes they might make in the future. And when you have that type of atmosphere where you truly do feel like you can be open and you have people that you can talk with and that will help you through the tough stuff, it is way less likely that you're going to have the deep, dark secrets that ruined families and ruined lives forever. It's not to say that it's never going to happen, but I'm telling you, if you lean into a community that's loving like Jesus and trying to be more like him every single day, you and your family will be healthier. And this is why I highly recommend that every single person walk through a freedom group at some point, especially if you have some of this stuff that you need healing, you have trauma in your past and you need to release this in Jesus name. There are freedom groups and they're actually starting in just a couple weeks. And next Sunday out in the lobby between every single service, we're having group link. And as you walk out, you're going to be able to meet every single group leader and sign up for a group. But the freedom groups are going to be available to you. And if you need healing, if you need freedom, you need to sign up for one. But let me tell you, I need you to take this seriously. If you sign up, there are limited spots in the freedom groups. And once you sign up and you start attending, it's a closed group. No people can jump in in the middle. It's a serious group for people to find freedom. And when you sign up for this, I'm going to ask you to be all in. Don't sign up for it and take somebody else's spot if you can't go to all of the meetings, if you're not going to do the homework. Because to find freedom, it takes work. Don't just sign up for a group and say, I signed up and nothing happened for me. I didn't find freedom. You didn't go to the group. You didn't put in the work. It takes work to find freedom, to find healing. That's next week. Sign up for a group. <laughs> my examples of legalism in my past are a bit drastic and rare, but is there legalism in the church today? And is there legalism in Connect Church? You know, I recently saw in a city Facebook group, a woman who posted this, we'll throw it on the screen. I'm looking for a fun, non-judgmental church to go to. I have tattoos, etc. something good for the kids as well. And you better believe as soon as I saw this, I'm like, Hey, I know of a perfect church you can go to. And actually the pastors got tattoos. So we would love to have you. And can I just say, I'm so grateful that we are a part of a congregation where I don't fear inviting people to church, that they're going to feel judgment when they walk in, no matter what they Look like or have been through. I'm grateful for that church, so thank you for being that church. But when I opened up the thread, I was really saddened because, again, this is a public Facebook group, not like a Christian Facebook group. This is like a citywide Facebook group. And some of the comments were, there is no such church. Or isn't it sad that religion is supposed to be about being kind to your fellow humans and supposed to be welcoming to all, but it seems to be the polar opposite? No such thing as a judgmental church. I find that everyone I went to was the same, not comfortable at all. Just avoid church. Or I didn't know tattoos were a sin. And then somebody under that, everything is a sin. Can we keep it real? Like the reason that so many people were commenting things like this is because they had a legalistic experience in a church. And I know that there are people in the world who think that any kind of rules are bad. And even if they have found a a non-legalistic church, they probably wouldn't be happy. But we do need to acknowledge that these people's opinions probably have some basis in reality. And the people who commented these things likely have a legalistic experience with some kind of past church. And many people think That following and doing a list of rules is the rite of passage to become a good Christian. So I want to throw out there some cautionary flags. I want to help guard our church and make our church stronger. And I want to protect our kids that are upstairs right now. I want to prevent them from walking through spiritual trauma uh, trauma that they have to shed like I did. So what are some of the possible legalistic tendencies that could be inside our church today. Number one, believing that how much you do or give earns you entrance into heaven or favor with God. Listen, if Dan or I or any of our team leaders have ever made you feel that how much you do, how much you serve, how much you give creates a better relationship with you and God creates salvation for you with God, I want to tell you, I am so sorry that that is not truth, that that is a legalistic mindset, and that is not what we stand for here at Connect. And I want to speak to every single team leader who might be here in this room. Love your team no matter what their capacity is. Because the church is a place where people find healing, and that includes broken time management skills or extenuating circumstances that they need help in. Love your team no matter what they're walking through. And I want to speak to the team or people who have been attending for a while, but they just haven't been ready to serve yet. I want to give you a different perspective on why people would serve. So, it's really important for us to get this. Pay attention. Sunday morning services are the best training ground for what God has planned for you. There is a call and a purpose on your life. And I promise you sharing the gospel is a part of it. But how we share the gospel can be different for everybody because everyone has different talents and abilities. And when you serve with these talents and abilities, you're, a, you're developing character You're given opportunities to teach or lead or help or build or sing. And God wants you to use those talents inside the church, but also outside of the church. So here's a practical example. Let's say you're serving and connect kids and you you start out as an assistant and then you develop enough skills and you become a facilitator. And then you start teaching the gospel to little children and you learn how to share the gospel with the kids that are upstairs that development, that skill becomes super practical in your day-to-day life outside of the church. Because God is going to put an opportunity in front of you where the Holy Spirit is moving you to share the gospel, to speak Jesus, to declare Jesus in their life. And because of your experience, you're not going to walk into that conversation with fear. You're not going to pass the buck and be like, just come to church with me. The pastor can share. You're going to have confidence because you've been developing the skills inside the church. You're going to have the words to say. You're going to be able to speak. You're going to be able to pray with them because the Holy Spirit is moving you to you're able to say yes in the moment without fear. And even today, we have an incredibly practical example of how serving in the church is a training ground for a future opportunity because there is a brand new church that just launched today in Airdrie. And about four or five of our Connect families have joined up with Restore Church to help them launch. And they have been serving, those families have been serving here at Connect and learning skills that will help them launch this new church. And let me tell you, their skills, are about to be tested. Their patience, their endurance is about to be tested because it's a whole lot easier to serve in an established church than it is a brand new church plant who is depending on them for every single hour and every single Sunday and multiple things and things that they don't feel like doing, but God's asking them to because it's a new church and they don't have enough people. Like It is going to be tested, but you know what? They have leaned in. They have been trained up. And because of their saying yes to serving here, because of their saying yes to being developed and developing those skills, they were ready when God called them to be faithful and go start a new church and become church planters themselves. And what I find so awesome is that four of these people who have gone on to go help us start a new church here at Connect Church, they put their faith in Jesus do you get that? Like they started their spiritual journey here in the last eight years and, and they have grown and developed and said yes to enough times that they are able and confident enough to go start a brand new church. That is something really amazing. We serve so we can develop our skills. We also serve so that others can hear about Jesus And I'm so very grateful for the team that served last month while my father-in-law was in town. Because you served, it created an atmosphere where God moved in his life. And after 27 years of praying for it, he said yes to Jesus. Thank you. Like, it's a big deal. And you have people in your life that you have been praying for and you've been inviting to church and you want them to know Jesus as well. And it is the team that creates the atmosphere, that readies the room. It's not just the sermon, guys. It is everybody collectively doing something together to help people know God. And I really loved a text from another pastor that we got celebrating dad, uh, Daniel's dad. And speaking to Daniel, this pastor said, you said yes to starting a church plant, and that church plant led your dad to Jesus. Come on, you guys. Thank you for serving. Our serving and giving has purpose and meaning, but it's not about making us okay with God or earning our salvation. Second legalistic possibility in our church, number two, when we judge or expect others to avoid or disengage with things that we consider sin for us, but isn't necessarily sin. Romans fourteen two and three has a really good example of this. It says, for instance, one person believes it's right, all right to eat anything, but another believer with a sensitive conscience will eat only vegetables. Those who feel free to eat anything must not look down on those who don't. And those who don't eat certain foods must not condemn those who do, for God has accepted them. Now, food is used as an example here, but the principle is a wide gray gamut of possibilities. So let me throw this out there. Your trauma triggers are not sins. Nor are they something that you should expect others to avoid because you need to. For example, in my early days, there was a season in my life where I had a hard time singing old hymns. And singing them signaled some trauma and brought back some memories of spiritual abuse for me. But does that mean that singing an old hymn is sinful? Absolutely not. It's praise to God, but it means that I had some healing to do. And thankfully God has brought me through that. But there are some people who are sitting in their trauma and playing avoidance card and refusal to heal. And that is the sin. If you have to avoid certain non-sinful things because of your past, but you have been a Christian for a while now, let me remind you, you have been set free in Jesus. And I want to encourage you to see if there's any avoidance because of fear or the lack of faith from something God has actually already set you free from. Now, I am not saying that if you've been freed from alcoholism, go grab your first drink in 10 years. Don't mishear me. But I am saying that if you have a tendency to judge others based on their actions, if you have a problem with other Christians going and doing yoga because it has Hindi roots, or you have a problem with other Christians learning the Enneagram personality typing because it has ancient Sufi roots, then I need you to stop for a second, check yourself, and make sure you're not projecting legalism onto others. Because there is a justification for every legalistic action. And, you know, maybe we we need to wear and dress up and go to church because we have to give God our best. That's a justification for a legalistic action. Or don't listen to songs with beats in them because they're too close to worldly music. That is a justification for a legalistic action. And just because you can justify it doesn't mean that it's not legalism or that it's not harmful to other people when you put it on other people. In 2019, Daniel and I took a trip to Italy for the first time, and we've been twice now, and I highly recommend you go to Italy if you're looking for a place to gain 15 pounds in one week. It's really great. I love it. I would go back in a heartbeat. And while we were in Rome, we visited the Pantheon. This is a picture that we actually took from our visit. The Pantheon served as a temple dedicated to Roman gods. That's pagan worship. And its design and grandeur were intended to reflect the power and authority of Rome. The temple housed statues of various gods and goddesses. And in the 7th century, the Pantheon was converted into a Christian church. And this was common for many pagan worship temples. The church helped preserve ancient Roman structures. And because of this transformation, we're able to see these structures today. All throughout Christianity, we have a history of taking something that once had pagan roots, pagan history, and using it to glorify Jesus. Christmas trees are one example, but so are parades or wedding veils or even the names of the days of the week. And today I see so many Christians taking a loud stance against things because they have ancient roots. When we have been using these things to draw people closer to Jesus, And that loud stance is legalism. This is what I mean by things not being so black and white, that they're more in the gray. So the question is, when does it become sin or something that a Christian should avoid? The sin would be if you were to do something that would cause you to worship something other than God. So if you doing stretches causes you to worship mentally Hindu gods, then you shouldn't do it. And if watching TV or watching a certain show causes you to worship something other than God, you shouldn't watch it. But don't put those expectations on other people and expect them to do the same in order to be right with God. That is legalism. And there are also extreme examples of legalism happening in Christianity today, and it may not be as common in our church, but I want to bring it up so we can identify it and not be confused by it. Guys, there are some wild YouTube and TikTok videos out there of people who claim to know everything about the Bible and they take very legalistic stances and that anyone who disagrees with them, they consider to be sinful. This is your red flag. If there is a YouTuber or TikTok or whatever out there claiming that you shouldn't listen to this certain music group or you should completely dismiss this mega church pastor, and here's 10 reasons why it's likely legalism. And it's a harmful mindset, and we need to avoid it. There are people with a platform who simply look for reasons to go against anything mainstream. If it's trending or popular, they begin digging on why Christians should avoid it and stay away from it. And sometimes they are the ones with the loudest voices because of their platform, who waste their day gossiping about men and women who are working so hard to build the local church. I have a family member who has not been yet freed from a legalistic mindset. And just last month, they posted this picture of Taylor Swift. And in the caption, it says, are you still blind? Are you still in denial? Taylor Swift is an instrument of demonic powers, influencing generation and discerning as clear as day. A serpent is one of the most widely known depictions of Satan and from the beginning of creation. It's time to wake up. Y'all, I'm not a swifty, but this is definitely legalism. It doesn't get more legalistic than this. And we need to have the ability to listen to each other and hear other points of view while staying biblically grounded. Avoidance is fear-based. It's easier to disengage and try to avoid culture altogether. It's easier to judge and condemn those that don't agree with us. But we can be a people of influence who know our goal is not to be right, but to be effective. We can be a people who stand out because of the way we relate to others, especially those different from us. We can be a people who serve those in need with a willing spirit and a gracious generosity. And we can be the people who reflect the loving kindness of a good God. So as I wrap this up, I want to speak to anyone with a history of legalism or spiritual trauma in their life. And I want to encourage you to give grace and forgiveness to those who have hurt you or falsely taught you. And I can speak with experience that it's easy to become the misguided teacher. In 2003, Daniel and I led our youth group in a CD burning party. Now, this is not where we got together and copied each other's CDs. We asked every single kid in our youth group to bring all of their music that had nothing to do with God, any of their worldly, secular music, and bring it, and we lit them on fire and destroyed those CDs. And it was all in a misguided attempt to convince them that if they listened to anything that was not worship music, it was the world, and they should have nothing to do with it. And that was legalism. And I pray that each of our students has found healing from those misguided teachings as we have ourselves. And I pray that you find the courage to forgive and to move on from your past, knowing that God sees the bigger picture and has a purpose and a plan for you. In Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can, can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. So today, if you've struggled with this mindset, with this idea that I have to earn God's love and acceptance, I want to tell you that That's impossible that you can't do it, you can't earn it. And the miracle is that God gives us grace and freedom in Christ. And for anyone who's had a past experience in a church that made them believe otherwise, on their behalf, I just wanna say I am so sorry. I more than most understand the hurt and understand the heaviness that that carries. And the only action that we truly need to do is to put our faith in Christ and the one who actually did live a perfect life so that we didn't have to, so that we could have a relationship with God who loves us and created us and knew us before we were ever born. And I want to pray over every single person who's walked through spiritual trauma. And I want to pray over every single person and protection over our church and our children from legalism. So pray with me, God, I just thank you so much for the light bulbs that may be coming on right now in people's minds, God, that they're understanding what true legalism looks like. And God, I'm just praying healing for the people who have walked through spiritual abuse and spiritual trauma. God, I pray that you would give them the confidence and the courage to forgive those that hurt them. And God, I'm just praying over our children here in this space now. I pray, God, that you would protect this church from any legalistic mindset that that would draw them away from you or convince them that they have to earn their way to you. God, I pray that you would protect our children, but protect our own hearts as well. Protect us from the dangerous videos on the internet and from the dangers of other people who come to us expecting something other than you and your grace and truth and peace and love in our life. God, I thank you so much for loving us even when we don't deserve it. And that grace only comes from you. In Jesus' name, amen.